Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. My name's Lee, and I'm a real sexaholic and all-purpose addict from Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, uh, calling in from the Smoky Mountains. Uh, It uh, is my charge today to talk about spirituality. I hope that everyone can understand my profound Southern drawl, because I'm a native of the South. I have um, uh, want to start out by saying when I'm talking about spirituality that I practice no organized religion. But throughout what I'm saying, I may refer to religious traditions because I think they provide some examples uh, that are related to my journey. And all I have is my own experience, strength, and hope, and uh, I, I do not speak any absolute truths. I have, um, I, Luke tells me that there will be a text uh, that I wrote out. It's not a text of what I say, but it's some notes of the ideas I'm willing, I want to talk about. Uh, and uh, My sexaholism began in 1954. Uh, When I was five years old, I began masturbating. Uh, By the time I was seven, I had a full-blown eating disorder. Uh, By the time I was 10, I was combining chemicals with my masturbation in order to enhance the experience. And it continued so on and on. Uh, I, uh, that's the reason I say I'm an all-purpose addict. Uh, It turns out uh, that as time went on and I got a medical degree, I got access to any drugs I wanted. And I was uh, combining uh, intravenous drugs with uh, pornography and masturbation and was uh, in terrible shape. I was also, unbeknownst to anybody, mentally ill, and I was injecting intravenous cough syrup and vodka along with all of this, and it became very strange, but it was known that if I didn't act out, I didn't have the symptoms. So in November of 1985, they decided to chemically castrate me with uh, injections, and that stopped the acting out. I stopped the IV drug use, uh, but it didn't do anything for the cravings and the craziness, and I was crazy. I drank into the middle of the night. I tried to act out, but I couldn't. Uh, It was a horrible time. In May of 1986, I was admitted in May. I mean, in January of 1986, I was admitted to a drug and alcohol unit where I learned about the recovery process 
and ultimately about the disease of addiction. And I started a recovery journey. Uh, I, in May of 1986, uh, at an AA meeting, I was uh, asking Harvey, you all may know Harvey, Hey, from Nashville, I said, Harvey, what meetings do you attend? And he started naming off Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. He got to Thursday and he said, Sexaholics Anonymous. And I literally grabbed him and I said, I need that. So uh, the next Thursday I went and I was introduced to the idea of lust, uh, which in the English language refers most frequently to sexual lust. However, it can often be used as a general sense of desire and intense uh, uh, craving for many things. And I found that I was also lusting after alcohol, drugs, food, achievement, and just about anything worth doing is worth overdoing for me. Uh, and so I, I also got the uh, belief that it didn't, uh, Re recovery was not just about stopping the behavior. It was about getting a spiritual release from the lust that was driving the behavior. And that's uh, something that I have pursued. And this uh, craving and in the English insatiability, the inability to become full or satisfied. This is not a new uh, not a new idea. The Buddha taught this 2,500 years ago when he talked about his word dukkha in Sanskrit. And uh, it was translated suffering, but when combined with the rest of the uh, noble truths, it meant uh, really being, uh, having craving and being insatiable without being able to be satisfied. So in 1986, I had no belief in God, uh, no spiritual beliefs or practices, and it seemed impossible to me to get any recovery. In about uh, that time, I was introduced to a, a recovering Catholic priest who told me about some spiritual minimums. And these are practices, none of which mention God, for which I had no belief in. However, they can be a pathway toward developing spirituality uh, that's a user-friendly spirituality, and it's an entirely personal one and may or may not include the idea of a spring being. So it's not directive at all. It's, it's a pathway, and uh, I found it extraordinarily uh, usable and user-friendly and doable. Uh, and so that's what I have been pursuing for the last 34 plus years. Uh, one of the uh, key things that is uh, a place that's important is there is uh, the difference between spirituality and religion. And in the um, English language, uh, spirituality is derived from the Latin word spiritus, and it can be, spiritus can be translated as breath. And in the ancient world, they saw that if a person stopped breathing, he had died. So they thought that the seed of life was actually 
in the breath. And so uh, in doing so, uh, being spiritual is actually uh, a thing that is uh, important to understand that it is nothing. And so you can see this idea of breath and life, uh, for instance, in the Christian Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament were written thousands of years ago. There's description of life being breathed into humans or the spirit giving life. And uh, it was a belief that really uh, permeated the ancient world. And it was uh, it, it so that to be to spirituality just means to be alive, to be to live your life and uh, enjoy it because addictions can be emotionally and physically deadly, but also spiritually deadly. And uh, recovery leads to that more fulfilling experience of life, which in the 12 step literature is referred to as spiritual awakening or spiritual experience is that, uh, uh, you know, that enhanced life. And, uh, but spirituality and uh, uh, religion are related, but they're not the same. Uh, the English word religion is derived from the Latin word religio, which is an obligation or a bond. And over the centuries, uh, it be religion became just to describe a set of rules, practices, and beliefs related to one's spirituality. These are extremely meaningful to many people in the world in celebrating their spirituality. And for example, uh, in Catholicism, it is uh, attending mass is said to be celebrating mass. Uh, however, religion for me is not the experience itself, but a, but a variety of pathways, uh, depending on which religion you're speaking to, speaking about, but it's a variety of pathways that can be used to connect with the spiritual experience. So what did I do when I came in and got these spiritual minimums? Well, the first thing I did was I had not been using for a, a number of months. Uh, and that's the first important thing to do is it, as long as there is an addiction around which I center and live my life, where it's the solution to every problem, and the means to which I celebrate everything, then there's no room for any sort of spirituality. It's an all-consuming thing. Uh, and anyone who's had an addiction can probably relate. So uh, not using is the first goal I had, one day at a time, going to meetings, etc. And uh, as I wound up in May of 1986, I realized I had had some more peace than I had not had before. So opening up that led me to another step, which was going to meeting. And showing up at that first SA meeting, I felt a release and a sense of hope that I had never sensed before. Uh, and so I, there were only six of us at that time. 
Uh, and there were, weren't many people in the world who were recovering. So we jumped in and all since to make that meeting work, we all showed up every week. I had a key to the building and that was part of my service. I also, we didn't have a telephone line or anything else. So I, I answered the letters we had in a post office box. And in doing so, I became deeply invested in the meeting which was a sense of hope and believing in all the experiences of everybody else. Uh, it wasn't the power anybody else had, it was the power of the experiences that was most important. And uh, I, um, I think that those early meetings were just uh, amazing in what they did for me. Uh, and the next thing I did was get a sponsor. I had had uh, instructions from my treatment center to get a sponsor. And so obsessing like I can about anything, I invited this guy over to my home and interviewed him for about two hours until I decided that he was good enough to be my sponsor. And so I appointed him my sponsor and he left the house and uh, in the last uh, 35 years, I've never seen him or heard from him and never talked to him again. So uh, the idea is that getting a sponsor doesn't, doesn't help very much. Uh, so next, I decided, I asked Harvey, I said, Harvey, would you be my sponsor? And he said, yes. And then about three months later, he said, Lee, are you ever going to call me? And I said, well, I hadn't felt that bad yet. And he said, call me every day. So I got the next part of sponsorship, which is using a sponsor. And if I don't use a sponsor, there's no help involved there. But sharing experiences was like Bill and Dr. Bob. And when Bill and Dr. Bob got together, it was sponsorship. That was before meetings, before literature, before anything else. Uh, Bill and Bob sharing their experiences with something magical that allowed them both to stay sober the rest of their lives. So I started talking to Harvey and I figured out that he was as crazy as I was. And so we had a good time being crazy together, but we were both staying in recovery. So uh, I think that uh, using a sponsor is probably more important step than getting a sponsor. You've got to get a sponsor before you can use them, but just getting a sponsor doesn't do anything. Then about uh, uh, August of 1986, Judson shows up. I don't know if any of y'all have ever heard Judson, but he was a guy that I considered had no chance of making it. I, and, you know, another nutcase. And uh, he suddenly asked me to be a sponsor. Well, of course, my inadequacy said I couldn't be a sponsor. I told him and I was just starting my medical practice again. And so I said, I'm, I'm really not capable of being a sponsor and I don't have time. And he said, well, can I call you? And I said, sure, you can call me. Uh, well, he did every day, sometimes twice a day. And that was back before cell phones. And so we, uh, he had a pocket full of coins and he'd stop along the way at phone booths and call me. 
usually at the time my wife and were having our evening dinner. So uh, we knew every time that the phone rang, it was Judson. And we used to say, well, we're bringing up baby. Uh, and then after about uh, seven years, we were talking one day and Judson said to me, he says, I guess you know you're my sponsor. And I said, yeah, I get figured that out. So uh, I was hijacked to be a sponsor. But that was very important to me because everything I told Judson, I needed to hear. And uh, sharing experiences with him kept me sober. So as, uh, as it went along, uh, I stayed sober and we, it was the magic of sponsorship that helped that. Uh, the next thing I did was that after uh, I had been, you know, not using, going to meetings, using a sponsor, being a sponsor. One morning, three years into this, uh, I was in the meeting for another 12-step fellowship. And I was sitting there, it was springtime, the sun was out, the birds were singing, and it occurred to me, I said, I've been in recovery now for three years. I said, that is a miracle. I could not stay sober three hours almost before I started this thing. And you know, where I had started out connecting with and believing in the experience of others, suddenly I realized I had an experience to believe in. It was something that I couldn't have done myself. So I had to have been under the influence of some sort of power greater than myself. And I, I didn't understand it. I still don't understand it. So it's not an understanding, it's an experience. And that is what I translate. It's not God as I, under, as I understand him, it's God as I experience God, which is what it's been for me. And it's been that power that has driven me to be able to stay in recovery for as long as I have. So it's odd. Uh, it's, it's a process that I went to uh, from believing in the experiences of others to finally believing in my own experience. Uh, and, that is, uh, and that is not, in, believing in one's experience uh, does not necessitate, it does not require believing in any sort of serene being, but it can. That experience of realization can actually be uh, a, a, a pathway to the idea of a supreme being, or it cannot, it doesn't have to be the divine. It is completely uh, not a brand name at all, we call it. It's, it's generic, as you would say in medicine, uh, it doesn't have a brand name attached to it. So all it is, is an experience. And we all look for how to practice it. What is the best thing to connect me with that experience? For me, it's others, it's nature, uh, and many other things uh, put me in touch with that power. But the, the fact 
that it is there is absolutely amazing to me. And it is, uh, uh, I've had mystical experiences. I've had lots of things since that came about. So just the four spiritual minimums. What are the four spiritual minimums, which is this pathway? It is, gotcha. Uh, it is uh, a uh, first is don't use and make space for a spiritual experience. Uh, and without that space, there's no spirituality. There's no way to even begin. So one day at a time, using all the meetings you need, all the sponsors you need, all the people you need, all the phone calls you need to stay free of using one day at a time to make that space. The next thing is going to meetings and not just going to meetings, participating, sharing, showing up, doing service, setting up chairs, making coffee, uh, being a, talking to newcomers, doing all of these things connects us to meetings. And uh, that is a power in itself. And as I said, sponsorship is the third one. It is uh, important to get a sponsor, use a sponsor, and be a sponsor in order to achieve the necessary uh, power infusion from whatever it is. And then the other one is time. Time is that spiritual quantity. We have to take time in order to do the first three minimums, and then we have to give it time for it to evolve, like the three years I had. It suddenly dawned on me that I'd had a spiritual experience with a power greater than myself. And that is why I'm still alive today uh, after all these years. And that's all. Thank you. I just wanted to add one thing uh, is that remember that the text with the four spiritual minimums is going to be attached to the recording of the talk. So uh, I not, not a text verbatim, but it will let the ideas be known. That's all. Hi, Lee. This is Luke. Hello. Hi. Uh, thank you so much for your talk. I, I love what you said about spirituality. You said spirituality means to be alive. <clears throat> spirit, so that my spirit is alive. Once I heard another definition of spirituality, which was taking care of the spirit within. So spirituality is not something um, limited to one or another religion. We all have a spirit within and spirituality is kindling that spirit so that it can become more and more alive. And I love that. I'm, I'm practicing a religion, but I, I, I do see it like, for instance, I'm an artistic person, I have an artistic talent and I went to art school. Now, art school only helped me to develop my inner creativity. The art school is not the end of it. So in the same way for me, a religion, it's like a kind of a spirituality school, which can help people in the best case to develop, to, to enlarge their spirituality. But sometimes we tend to make the school 
the spirituality school or the art school more important than what it's really about. So um, I just wanted to ask you, um, how, what's your concept of a higher power today? Is it like a personal loving God as the big book seems to be saying or, or can you say anything about it? Thank you. Sure, Luke. Uh, I have uh, let that evolve over many, many years, uh, decades now, uh, and I have um, uh, my experience is related to my uh, identity as a scientist, and um, I experienced the absolutely overwhelming miracle of the vast laws of the universe and nature. Uh, and that influences my day-to-day -day activity in that I have uh, also the law of uh, natural selection, which means that nature and whatever this power is wants me to survive. And so I have a law and a power that drives me to survive. And when I align my will with the will of that power, I am uh, taking actions that enhance my chance of survival and life. And life is what I think is spiritual. So I am driven by laws of nature and science to take the steps that align myself with the pursuit of life. So that's where I, uh, I, feel that I, I, could, I could certainly talk another hour on that, but I won't, and that's a uh, very concise done. So that's the way I see it. That's all. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Lee. Monica. Hello, thank you. Hello, Lee, thank you very much. I'm Monica, sexaholic from Barcelona. Spain, and I related to you uh, a lot, a lot of things, maybe all the things. I didn't understand you very much in the beginning, but then I get used to your southern, southern accent. <laughs> and uh, yes, for me, it's, uh, spiritually, it's, it's make the things easy. And uh, it can be religion or it can be spiritually, but you have to practice. It's not something that I have God, I have a spiritually, I have Buddha. No, you have to practice. As long as you practice, I think it works. It's the same, no? For me, for me. I love everything you said about to, to have a sponsor and to use it because most of the people say, oh no, I have a sponsor, this person that has 100 years sober and it, I don't use it. So it's, it's not work for me, no? And uh, thank you very much. And I, I really. I, I'm, I'm very happy to, to get into this meeting and just just to meet you, it makes a lot of sense. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Monica. Floor is still open. Hello, Daniel. Here's Carolina from Madrid. Go ahead, Carolina. Um, I just want to say thank you to Leon. Uh, the other day I heard something 
that is S A shine, and it is what I I have felt today listening to Lee. S A S A shine that for me is a spirituality. Thank you. Thank you, Carolina. I Francis, I think you have your hand up. Go ahead, Francis. Hi, thanks, Daniel. Hi, Lee, and uh, many, many thanks for your share. It's wonderful to hear, and particularly for me, coming from a, a religious tradition, it's brilliant to hear a scientist talk about spirituality, because I've just been through three interviews with some scientists, psychologists, and they completely poo-pooed the whole idea of the program, because they said, it doesn't work, spiritual basis can't work. So it was really good to hear a scientist say, oh, no, it doesn't, because the spiritual science program for me is very, very important. In fact, I say it was foundational. Thank you, Francis. There's, there's a comment in the chat from Dana C., uh, who says, thank you, Lee. <clears throat> the notion that my experiences in the real world would be a sound basis for building a spiritual life is a new concept. My internal mental fantasy life has been debilitating for so long, I am often afraid to rely on my experiences as a sound basis for anything. Concupiscence oh. has driven me all my life. And I don't know if you wanted to comment on that at all, Lee. Or we just leave it there. I uh, yes, uh, my uh, uh, thoughts of God and religion from childhood uh, envisioned a uh, a non-material uh, entity or or being that. Uh, I had to some si somehow access, and for all of my life, I couldn't access. It was not meaningful to me. It was not user-friendly enough that I was a part of that uh, being. However, these uh, four spiritual minimums allowed me to experience something greater than myself, and it was rooted in the here and now and the world in which I lived. And uh, that was the source of my miracle. So I think I, I completely see what you're saying and agree with it. Thanks. Thanks, Lee. Uh, can I ask a question? Jared, uh, Leeds UK. Uh, what constitutes step 11 in prayer for you, Lee? I love to share, by the way. Uh, step 11. Uh, has always been one of my most difficult. But in the AA Big Book, uh, it talks about uh, saying memorized prayers and doing an inventory every night and making plans for every day. In the world of the 1930s, meditation did not mean anything like today's mindfulness. It was to deeply consider and contemplate a idea or thought. And that was meditation for the people who wrote the big book. 
My meditation, though, is more like a mindfulness meditation in which I most effectively listen in nature uh, because that is where I see the evidence of the power that has driven this universe to be where it is today. And when I connect with that, it's a sense of oneness that is powerful. I do not have a specific human-like being that I pray to, but I try to align myself with the power that is there. And that action is a form of prayer. Now, when I pray for someone, I do not pray for them. I take actions that are to their benefit. And uh, so it's the action that makes the most difference to me. And the listening is my meditative process now. I, I hope that helps. That's, all. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. Thank you. Hi, this is Dennis. Can I ask a question? Sure, go ahead. All right, thank you. Thank you, Lee. I really have enjoyed this. Um, in studying the traditions, Tradition 12, it just really uh, amazes me. I love it. I don't understand it as much as I would like to. So if you could share a little bit about your experience, strength, and hope around the sacrificial spirit. Thanks. I'm not sure what is what you mean by sacrificial spirit. Uh I don't know that that's a part of the 12th tradition, or maybe you could uh, refresh my memory about what you're speaking about. Well, instead of going into a long dialogue, can you share your experience, strength, and hope around the 12th tradition? That would be great. Uh, yes. Uh, you know, uh, it says the anonymity is this you know, is the spiritual uh, foundation of our, uh, of our program. And for me, anonymity was very important. I found that the confidentiality part of it was not uh, the most important thing. Uh, I, even as a physician, I got calls, people knew I was an essay and a sexaholic and it didn't seem to matter. I didn't broadcast it, but the confidentiality was not what kept me coming back. Uh, as a physician, I was frequently put on a pedestal of some sort and a very powerful one so that uh, it was uh, important for me to be in the part of the anonymity concept that meant that I was no different from everybody else. The only, the only identity that I have in 12-step meetings is addict. I am, uh, I'm not better than the man that uh, is homeless. Uh, I'm not less than uh, someone who is very powerful. We're all the same in those meetings. And so that is what I think it means when it says we pray, 
principles before personalities. Sure, there are people that maybe irritate me, but the most important part of that is we're there for the principles and not uh, because of the uh, uh, the power of the people who decide to come to the meetings. So uh, I don't know if that if that's beneficial, but that's that's the way I experience the twelfth tradition. Yes, that was helpful. Thank you so much. And let's go ahead and open it up for uh, anyone to share, even for less. If you have less than thirty days, uh, this is your opportunity as well. Hello, hello, everybody. Hello, Lee. Thank you so much. My name is. Atos. We're kind of losing your voice, your voice connection. Oh, uh, do you hear me now? Hello. Uh, I'm Arnold, a sexaholic from Lithuania. Thank you, Lee, for your interesting. I was wondering regarding spirituality and regarding religious practice, because I also have this problem that, as say, is a is a for me, it's it's not a religious program it's it's a spiritual program but for me god is very important i became religious i am also a scientist i i became religious 10 years ago and according to that the religion that i practice it's it's not good to have something else like it's not even good to 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 call god a higher power so for me it's always a problem with this and uh, but in general, um, what I see is uh, how we surrender to God and how we surrender to higher power. So it's it's actually you submit, you you totally submit yourself to authorities and you trust them and you act or you take advice from them. So in in that sense, it's not so much difference because you have to surrender. You have to give your will to or or at least you have to act as 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 your as your sponsor or your spiritual master says but tell me what to do if the, if this desire you said that you trust so much in in nature i also love nature so much and i see spiritual things in nature but i also see my sexaholism as as part of nature also so how do you deal with that? I don't know if you understand. Thank you. I certainly understand. Uh, addiction is a biological disease, uh, but that's the nature of uh, addiction recovery is that uh, it's like any other uh, process in nature uh, healing is good to keep one from dying. And uh, that healing has been a part of religious traditions for uh, thousands of years. So, and, and I look at nature, and one of the things, for example, I'll see is a broken tree limb, and the tree heals itself. 
uh, just like a bone that's broken heals itself uh, by natural processes. And so the power of the laws of nature and the universe are healing in themselves and noticing that sexaholism or addictions at all are a disease process that breaks our lives and healing that process allows us to live our lives fully. So uh, there are a lot of natural processes that are diseases and healing them helps the, uh, the living person or being survive. And uh, so I think that uh, sexaholism is one of those things that nature presents us that needs healing in order for us to live. That's how I see it. Thank you, Lee. We have time for one, possibly two short shares. Hi, my name is uh, Mohammed. I'm sexaholic. Um, thank you, thank you, Lee, for this share. It's amazing, and um, it's my pleasure and honor to be listening to you. And thank you, Daniel, for your service. Uh, my question was: uh, You talked about sponsor and and listening as your meditation. Uh, I feel it too. I feel like when I share, is is very very helpful, and listening is very very helpful. Uh, so my question is why? Why is that? If you can explain, please. In spirituality, uh, why is a question that's often not answerable. We can't answer a lot of things, but it's clear that uh, that for many thousands of years or millions of years, there has been power in uh, living things coming together. And they have a, a power together that they don't have alone. And one of the reasons that uh, Homo sapiens survived as and became the dominant species it's believed because they could make larger social connectedness with us. And in making those larger groups, they had more power to uh, be the dominant species. So, but that's true down to the level of slime molds and slime molds come together as single cells. And yet they have a power together that they wouldn't have alone. So there's a lot to say about that, but I could, again, talk too much and I'll just stop. Thanks. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.